You are listening to Radio Free Nashville, 107.1 and 103.7 FMLP and streaming live at RadioFreeNashville.org. Welcome to the Veterans for Peace Radio Hour. I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore! And so with that, my name is Jim Wolgamuth, and I'm here via Zoom with co-hosts and other veterans, Tom Gross and Harvey Bennett. Veterans for Peace is an international organization of military veterans and allies whose collective efforts are to build a culture of peace by using our experiences and lifting our voices for the causes of peace, humanity, equality, and justice. Our network is comprised of over 140 chapters worldwide. Our radio show is on stations across the country. You can get a copy of the show by just going to our Facebook page, search Veterans for Peace Chapter 089. You can also find them in SoundCloud and search the same thing, Veterans for Peace Chapter 089. To find any of our shows, go to bit.ly slash VFP Radio. That's bit.ly slash capital VFP, lowercase radio hour. And you can find all of our shows. If you have any question for us, send us a text at 703-403-6135. So the Veterans for Peace Radio Hour and Radio Free Nashville are supported in part by the Green Party of Tennessee, bringing some common sense into the bipolar world of American politics. Go to greenpartytennessee.org. So today, Harvey, Tom, and myself will share some clips with you and have some comment. Uh, these clips caught our attention over the past week or so as we just try to keep up with what is going on on a weekly basis. Here's the show. So here we are. And of course, we're at Thursday. We don't know. We're recording on Sunday. That's right. And the show is on Thursday. We don't know what is happening between Sunday and Thursday. Maybe I'll try and give an update because you never know. With this. Most likely a whole lot. Most likely a whole lot, but I'm hoping uh, what happens involves William Barr and Stephen Miller. <laughs> COVID positive. So, I mean, when I first when I first heard that Hope Tip Hicks was positive, I thought nothing of it, really. You know, we've heard this baloney before. Then the next morning, we I hear that um, Trump is positive, and for a second there. I believed it. And then I listened to Naomi Klein talk about um, uh, the, the taking, taking advantage of a shock, taking advantage of a crisis. And I'm thinking, I wonder if he's playing us. So that was my first impression. Uh, but then after watching the doctors come out and weasel word their answers at Walter Reed, I thought, okay, maybe he is. So what... What do you guys think? Well, you know, I think he has it simply because they've not been able to control the news cycle. I think they were actually trying to hide it, that he was yeah. positive, and then it got too bad. His symptoms got more extreme. Well, they did you not know, announce. They, they, were they, not never, they never announced Hope Hicks. That was Bloomberg. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We don't know if we'd know about her without that. Yeah. So there was a point, if you look at the chronology though, a lot of it didn't make sense from the first reports as far as when he was positive. Yeah, that's all shaky. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, then you hear about Chris Christie and uh, Chris Christie, uh, was he at the, was he at that uh, big, Rose Garden celebration no, for he, Amy? No, I don't know, but he was no, at the debate prep. It, um, prepping the president for yeah. the debate. Okay, so if and he's there, the timeline of when the virus was floating around. You got it. Monday. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Monday. So you that's know, why they, the initial story doesn't work. No, absolutely. No, the idea that that Hope Hicks gave it to everyone is 
is is bull. I mean, there's no that they can't even establish that. Mm -mm. No, and and now these other uh, dominoes are falling. It's pretty obvious uh, there's a super spreader out there somewhere, and the way they're not doing tracing. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't see how they're going to figure it out anytime soon. Well, I looked at the picture of um, the Rose Garden celebration. Mm -hmm. And so it was active then. Yeah. There was active then. And Marsha Blackburn, our, <laughs> our renowned senator. Yeah, she's is, right there in that same row with them. Yeah. And uh, I, I checked to see if she was getting tested. And they, the, the news that I saw was Marsha Blackburn sees no reason to get tested, something moronic like that. So Why would she have the option if, if they're doing... Uh, well, she's Marsha. But when you're doing contact tracing... Sure. Yeah. You don't That's give people a choice, do you? No, you, she when shouldn't. When you, when is she quarantining? Going on, you is she quarantining? I didn't even see that she was quarantining. Neither's Pence. Yeah. So, I mean, they they they've got to get this. They've got to get this uh, Supreme Court nomination going through. But I saw that, and so um, between Sunday night and Thursday, we'll just see how many more dominoes. All right. But now, where is Trump? Is he still at Walter Reed? Because I yeah, yeah, he yeah. back to the hospital. But he's already violated the guidance from the CDC. Yeah. What people don't understand is when you get exposed, even if you're not testing positive, you're supposed to go into quarantine. Yeah. But once you're positive, you're supposed to go into isolation. Right. And that is not what our president did. No. Okay, so... Who was that guy that drove the SUV that took him by his supporters tonight so he could wave at him? Yeah. So, so he actually got out of the hospital and yeah. was in an SUV? Yeah. I did not he, hear it. Yeah, his limo SUV. He waved to the Proud Boys and whoever else was <laughs> right. talking. Yeah. And then he went back into the hospital. So he, uh, he needlessly and really... Uh, in violation of every standard, he yeah. exposed this driver. Yeah, well, the whole, the whole entourage is exposed. I mean, they're all wearing masks. I will say that. Yeah. <laughs> well, how did the, how the heck did Walter Reed allow him to do that? Exactly. Well, how did they allow Connolly to go out there and be a spokesman for the information <laughs> we need about the chief of uh, the the nation? I, Why don't they have the the Walter Reed people who are actually in charge of his care give the report. It's just yeah. like all these other reports. They have to get filtered uh, through his highness. Otherwise, they can't speak. Okay. Conley is not, Conley is in no way a skilled uh, evader of facts. He just, he just stumbles over stuff. No, and they, they got caught up in it because between Connolly and uh, Mark Meadows, they yeah. had two different stories. Yeah. Oh my! I thought it was t I thought it was very telling that when they were when Trump was trying to explain uh, how it got spread, he said, "You know, our armed services and, <laughs> and they just they just hugging hope hicks." Hope hicks. She's so young and she's so pretty and warm and they just have to go up and hug and kiss her. <laughs> kiss her, right? He, that's a Trump thing. <laughs> I know. I would, when I heard that report, I thought, and the next thing he's going to say is they, they grab her by the... <laughs> she did test positive. I just heard about this. She tested positive. She's a hard worker. A lot of masks. She wears masks a lot, but she tested positive. And I just went out with a test. I'll see what, you know, because we spent a lot of time, and the First Lady just went out with a test also. So whether we quarantine or whether we have it, I, I don't know. You know, it's very hard. When you're with soldiers, when you're with uh, airmen, when you're with uh, the Marines and, uh, I'm with, and the police officers, I'm with them so much. And when they come over to you, it's very hard to say, stay back, stay back. You know, it's, it's a tough kind of a situation. It's a terrible thing. So... Uh, 
I just went for a test, and we'll see what happens. I mean, who knows? But you know Hope very well. She's fantastic, and she's done a great job. But it's very, very hard uh, when you are with people from the military or for law enforcement, and they come over to you, and they they want to hug you, and they want to kiss you because we really have done a good job for them. And you get close, and things happen. I was surprised to hear with Hope, but she's a very warm person with them, and she she knows there's a risk, but she's right, so, uh, young. You and know, I just, we don't know where this is going, but um, we'll... I think where it's going is she's probably not sick enough or he'll recover, and then there's going to be a whole thing of him being the crusader, that the gladiator that fought back the virus. That's yeah. Play it. With 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 hundreds of doctors and Walter Reed Hospital. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see how he plays when some of his mega donors from New Jersey start dying. Well, that's that's another thing. We'll just have to see. So, all right. So I think we updated that at least as far as Sunday evening. Hmm. Now, um, we we all got some clips, and I just wanted to start off with the one that I got from John Stewart because, because it is interesting to veterans and interesting to Iraq and Afghanistan veterans. So it's four minutes long. And this is what John Stewart, um, late of the Daily Show, is up to now. Welcome uh, to another exciting episode of when is America gonna start acting like the great country we keep telling ourselves we are. We always have money for war. We never have money for the war fighter. And it's unacceptable. We support the troops until the troops need support. And then we bury it. We dug burn pits. Some of them 10 acres. They burn 24 seven. Everything, every hazardous waste was piled into them. And what's the common uh, uh, ingredient? Jet fuel. Jet fuel as the accelerant at ground zero, jet fuel as the accelerant in these burn pits. And so our veterans lived 24 hours a day, seven days a week, next to toxic smoke, dioxins, everything. And now they're being told, hey man, is that stuff bad for you? I don't know, we don't have the science. It's bullshit. It's bullshit. It's about money. And we're here today to say we're not going to let this happen in the dark. I was diagnosed with war lung disease and a toxic brain injury. The oncologist we saw was astonished and said, what the hell have you been exposed to? This rare form of lung cancer and rare mucous membrane pemphigoid disease is only due to toxic exposure. He passed this year, May of 2020. When will the government do the right thing and care for veterans with health problems from things they were exposed to on the battlefield? My husband is dead because America knowingly poisoned its soldiers. My daughter's daddy is dead because America poisoned its soldiers. When these veterans go to the VA for care, the VA says they have to show medical evidence of a disease or disability, evidence of their physical presence near a specific exposure site, and evidence of the link between illness and exposure. Then, once these veterans have jumped through all of those hoops, the VA has said, as John said, the science isn't there. We go to war to serve our country knowing the, the uncertainty of death or injury. What we don't plan on is returning home to fight a whole new war of having to prove our illnesses and our injuries. The presumptive benefits for war fighters exposed to burn pits and other toxins act will remove the burden of proof. It will remove that burden from our veterans by establishing a presumptive service connection for veterans exposed to burn pits and other toxins and streamline the process so they can get the benefits that they have already earned from the VA. The only difference between the first responders at ground zero who are sick and dying from toxic exposure is that that was caused by a terrorist attack on our country. The veterans in Iraq and Afghanistan 
are suffering the same illnesses and the same toxic exposure because of the actions of our own government. Uh, we're not here to reinvent the wheel. We're here to take the blueprint that the 9-11 families has created and, and, and apply it to our cause. So I thought it was important to let that out. And so I think we need to call our Congress people and say there's a burn pit piece of legislation that's been submitted that is important. I know there's a lot more news, but the, this burn pit piece of legislation, uh, and I'll try and find the title to it. Yeah, see what you can do. Uh, need some need some help, need some support, despite everything else that's going on. Is it in the house, do you know? Um, that I got to look up. Oh, I'll bet you it is, although <clears throat> Gillibrand being on there, maybe they introduced something in, in the in Senate. Senate. Although, you know, who's going to be in session for the next two weeks? Probably no, nobody. nobody. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's just, here we go again. It's um, Agent Orange Part Two. Uh, because of the long fight that that took. So, I mean- Why I mean, is it we have to continually relive the same pattern over and over and over again? It's just disgusting. Because nobody reads or understands history. And so that bill is S-2950, the Veterans Burn Pit Exposure Recognition Act. And that's in the Senate. So. Veterans Burn Pits Exposure Recognition Act of 2020 and call your senator and support this bill. Now, back to the show. So that's a clip that I, I had. Now, Tom, what clip do you want to play first from what you had? Uh... I guess we could go with Howard Zinn's and uh, Democracy Now. It's okay. a clip uh, that Amy uh, narrates and introduces Howard. First, she talks about uh, the executive order from, I think it's about 10 or 12 days ago that he signed that basically calls for <clears throat> patriotic education. <laughs> a, uh, fascist phrase, I suppose. Yeah. And the contrast is Howard speaks about uh, the true heroes of history, not not the the false images of uh, uh, Theodore Roosevelt and Christopher Columbus and some of the other people that get lionized, but the the real heroes heroes of history. And two that he mentions in the clip are Mark Twain and Helen Keller. All right, let let's take a listen. Historian Howardson. On Thursday, President Trump lashed out at educators who teach about the U.S. history of slavery and racism, announcing a so-called patriotic education plan to combat what he called toxic propaganda in schools. Trump called the teaching of critical race theory a form of child abuse, last out at the 1619 Project, the Pulitzer Prize-winning series by The New York Times, which re-examines the legacy of slavery. Trump also directly criticized Howardson during his on. speech at the National Archives Museum in Washington. Washington, D.C. Left-wing rioting and mayhem are the direct result of decades of left-wing indoctrination in our schools. It's gone on far too long. Our children are instructed from propaganda tracks like those of Howard Zinn that try to make students ashamed of their own history. So we're turning back now to 2009. Howard Zinn appearing on Democracy Now! less than a year before he died. He just published Young People's History of the United States. I asked him to respond to a question he'd frequently been asked about his work. Is it right to be so critical of the government's policies of the traditional heroes of the country? It's true that uh, people have asked that question again and again. Uh, now, should we tell uh, kids uh, that Columbus, whom they have been told was a great hero, that Columbus mutilated Indians and kidnapped them and killed them in pursuit of gold. 
Should we tell people that uh, Theodore Roosevelt, who is held up as one of our great presidents, was really a, a warmonger who loved military exploits and who congratulated an American general who committed a massacre in the Philippines? Should we tell young people that? And I think the answer is we should be honest with young people. We should not deceive them. Uh, we should be honest about the history of our country, and uh, we should be not only taking down the traditional heroes like Andrew Jackson, Theodore Roosevelt, but we should be giving young people an alternate set of heroes. Instead of Theodore Roosevelt, tell them about Mark Twain. Mark Twain, well, Mark Twain everybody learns about as the author of Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn, but when we go to school, we don't learn about Mark Twain as the vice president of the anti-imperialist league. We aren't told that Mark Twain denounced Theodore Roosevelt for approving this massacre of the Philippines. You know, we want to give uh, young people uh, ideal figures like Helen Keller. And I remember learning about Helen Keller. Everybody learns about Helen Keller. You know, a disabled person who overcame her handicaps and became famous. But people don't learn in school, and young people don't learn in school what we want them to learn when we do books like A Young People's History of the United States, that Helen Keller was a socialist. She was a, a labor organizer. She refused to cross a picket line that was picketing a theater showing a play about her. And so there are these, these alternate heroes in American history. There's Fannie Lou Hamer and Bob Moses. They're the heroes of the civil rights movement. There are a lot of people who are obscure, who are not known. We have in this young people's history, we have a, a, a young hero uh, who um, was sitting on the bus in, in Montgomery, Alabama, refused to leave the front of the bus. And it was before Rosa Parks. I mean, Rosa Parks is justifiably famous for refusing to uh, leave her seat, and she got arrested, and that was the beginning of the Montgomery bus boycott, and really the beginning of a great movement in the South. But we, uh, this 15-year-old girl did it first, and so we, we have a lot of, we are trying to bring a lot of these obscure people uh, back uh, into the forefront of uh, our attention and, and inspire young people to say this is the way to live. That's Howard Zinn appearing on Democracy Now! in 2009. Howard Zinn was attacked by President Trump on Thursday. The Zinn Education Project criticized Trump's call for patriotic education. The project tweeted, so what explains the rebellions in 1676, 1680, 1786, and 1831, 1859, and more by Native Americans, enslaved Americans, uh, enslaved Africans, coal miners, and more? Howard Zinn wasn't alive then, unquote. To see our full interview with Howard Zinn, you can go to democracynow.org, as well as all of our interviews with Howard Zinn over the years. Just like we were mentioning about, here we go with Agent Orange again, with trying to get the VA to uh, recognize burn pits. It's one of these things where we just don't think about our history. No, and I think the, the, the really wonderful thread about Howard Zinn's approach to history is that he he pretty much lionizes what the real progressive movement is in any country and throughout the globe, and that's the common person, the common worker, right? The ones that that lead us to an enlightened society. It's rarely our uh, top leaders that that lead the crusade. Yep, it takes I mean the average person to get engaged and become active in their own community and in global uh, issues. I mean, it, and, and of course, if you haven't read A People's History of the United States, then that's where you need to start. That is absolutely where you need to start. And it, it, is, it is an easy read, but it is still very cerebral. Uh, but 
I did get my sixth graders around the middle of October to, to um, read the first chapter about Columbus. But what I did was I gave all the class a, a survey and I said, uh, was Christopher Columbus a hero? And what, what did he do? If you think he was a hero, what did he do to make you think you know, he, he was a hero? And then we would go through that first chapter about Christopher Columbus and what he did to the indigenous population based on his own logbook from the ship and based on the, uh, the writings of a Franciscan priest whose name escapes me now. And we did that in two days. And then I gave the kids the same survey. Was Christopher Columbus a hero or a goat? And at this point, the tide had turned and the kids were just shocked. But guess what? Nobody was upset they'd lost the hero. These sixth graders were gratified that somebody had told them the truth, that somebody had respected them enough to tell them the truth. So, a people's history of the United States. All right, Harvey, mm. do you have a clip that you wanna share? I was looking for this Al Franken interview I heard the other day. Uh, I think it might've been on uh, MSNBC, which I don't normally watch, but uh, <clears throat> I couldn't find it. I was trying to find it on YouTube, but <laughs> It was just on Trump and uh, the COVID business. And anyway, <clears throat> he had a, I, what I thought was a very uh, unfiltered take on, on uh, Donald Trump and how everything he's done uh, around this horrible development has been completely consistent with everything else he's done in terms yeah. of his, his blindness to anybody's interest except his own. Well, we couldn't find the clip that Harvey was talking about, but we did find this clip with Al Franken being interviewed by Larry Jacob. Donald Trump had handled the coronavirus back in January and February, kind of like Germany. Uh, Germany has less than 10,000 deaths due to the coronavirus compared to over 200,000 now in America. Do you think Donald Trump would be in a much stronger position to win re-election and perhaps the polls would be reversed at this point? Absolutely. I think I wrote a piece um, saying basically the premise of it was that uh, even uh, a, a, a malignant narcissist of even uh, medium intelligence would have understood that handling this well would have led to his reelection. Uh, clearly, um, he didn't. He didn't understand that. Uh, we now know that he understood how serious this was, and he said so to Bob Woodward uh, early, very early on in February, and that he then lied to the American people by saying this was a democratic hoax. And I mean, uh, his excuse was that he was being a cheerleader for the American people. I, I've, you know, I've been to a lot of high school games in, in Minnesota. I've never seen the cheerleaders turn around and fire AK-47s into the crowd. Uh, this was, uh, and then he compared himself to Churchill, uh, which <laughs> Churchill actually uh, told the, British people exactly what they were dealing with and rallied them. And this, what, what Trump did was, he was Neville Chamberlain as far as I'm concerned. He, he was pretty caustic. I mean, but he, <laughs> usually, you know, he doesn't have much left to lose here. No. He can, he can pretty much unleash mm -hmm. his real feelings about the, yes. the, the caustic politics. And he said, you know, it's really, it's not enough to say, 
we wish him and Melania a quick recovery and all that. Well, you know, nobody wishes that virus on anybody, but, but that's really a disservice to leave it at that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, I, I think it almost, to me, it comes off as two-faced or, you know, or self-serving. Oh, thoughts and prayers. You sound like a Republican after a shooting. Um, you know, we wish him well, but we hope him, we hope him and his followers learn a lesson. Yeah. Take heed. Uh -huh. Wear a mask. Yeah. Stay social distanced. And I mean, you know, it's unfortunate the way this politiz politicalization of mask wearing has spread around because. I just saw a report yesterday that we're still, if you look at the entire United States, we have slightly under 50% of people who are adhering to the mask protocol. Yeah, and there are still areas, states and cities where they've lifted their mandates. You know, it's like, you know. Yeah, and they don't enforce them. We recommend it, but hey, you know. <laughs> That's right, and so what happens with that? Uh, 14 of the Tennessee Titans are COVID positive. 14? I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, 14. And, uh, I think Cam Newton now is positive mm -hmm. on the, the uh, page. Yeah. yeah, I saw that. Yeah. And so carelessness, I mean, all these, all these folks who uh, like their Slim Jims and their NFL uh, on Sunday, and as long as they get that, then everything is hunky-dory no matter mm -hmm. if the country burns in the west coast and floods in the east coast i mean if they they're just fine but the thing is if they don't wear their gd mask then they are going to they are and they're going to eliminate the nfl from sunday afternoon yeah yeah i mean not only that but uh, there's some real questions about how the school reopening is going to go. I, I'll tell you a little episode from my neighborhood here. My neighbor happens to be a grammar school teacher at a special education school a few blocks away. They've been open now for, I think, two weeks. The whole school is in shutdown now. Everyone has had to go into quarantine. Yeah. And they only had four students, actually, that were one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. The rest of it was virtual. Well, you know, here for us, because we take care of our grandkids and our, our seven year old second grader starts back uh, after fall break. Fall break is, has just started, it goes this week. So a week from tomorrow, she actually goes back. And my, my thought process is she'll probably go back for two weeks and then uh, it'll either be shut down or we will probably opt to have her go mm -hmm. back virtually because the, the, the risk to, um, uh, to Mary and I yeah. with regard to a, a little, uh, yeah. a, a, you know, a I don't know. coming back is, uh, is significant, but she does need some socialization. So we're hoping to get through, through two weeks. Yeah, elsewhere, I don't know if you saw it, but uh, Mayor de Blasio announced that he's asking for a uh, shutdown of non-essential businesses in New York City again. There you go. There you go. But he opened the schools, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, uh, the plan, what, whatever it was, is it, more like pie in the sky yeah. than it it's sort of like a fantasy that, uh, you know, defies what our uh, histogram looks like for infection. Yeah. We're, we are on a plateau that is inappropriate for massive reopening. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, didn't uh, Nell and Michael talk about pie in the sky a couple of weeks ago, and then they finished it up with, that's a lie. So, mm -hmm. yeah. All right, Tom, what, what, what other clip, what clip do you want to go through next? So the other clip I have is from The Guardian, one of my favorite publications. And uh, 
It's uh, narrated by uh, a reporter from their West Coast Bureau, a political reporter named uh, Manvi Singh. And it, it, I think it's important to hear this because within the next week or so, I'm sure that the White House is gonna portray the president as the conqueror of the virus and they're gonna talk about how he overcame the virus. And this clip basically details the litany that came from his mouth and his administration that got us where we are, the misinformation uh, campaign about COVID-19. Coronavirus, right? Kung flu. Said to my people, slow the testing down. Please. None of us have ever been told to slow down on tests. In fact, we will be doing more tests. Trump has this sort of track record of disregarding and undermining science. His administration has sidelined scientific data, scientific advice, uh, its approach to environmental and health policies. Since coronavirus hit, it's sort of been a continuation of that attitude where the president hasn't really respected or, or abided by what various scientific advisors have said at, at various points. A month ago, nobody ever heard of this. Nobody had any idea. Nobody could have known a thing like this could happen. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, came the invisible enemy. That's absolutely not true. Trump had ample warning to act more quickly from the WHO and from officials within the administration itself. And epidemiologists have been urging governments to prepare for a long time. Anybody that needs a test gets a test. We, they're there. They have the tests. And the tests are beautiful. We have the best tests of any country in the world. I think I read where if you add up every other country in the world, we've tested more. Trump has touted the U.S.'s testing capacity. He's often said the U.S. has the best testing in the world, which just isn't true. But at the same time, he's also said, you know, testing isn't really necessary or we don't really need to do that many tests. If we didn't do any testing, we would have very few cases. When you do testing to that extent, you're going to find more people. You're going to find more cases. But that's sort of the point. You know, if you keep testing, you know who is infected. You're able to treat them. You're able to keep them from infecting other people. People. Supposing we hit the body with a tremendous, uh, whether it's ultraviolet or just very powerful light, and I think you said that has him in check, but you're going to test it. The disinfectant, where it knocks it out in a minute, one minute, and is there a way we can do something like that uh, by injection inside or, or almost a cleaning? It sounds interesting to me. It was sort of outrageous and, and, and very dangerous to suggest that people should inject disinfectants like bleach into their veins. But what was also interesting was in that moment, you know, Trump turned to one of his top public health advisors, Dr. Deborah Burks, and, and sort of tried to negotiate, well, you know, why not try it out? Why not? Can we study that? It shows a lack of, of understanding for how the scientific process works. Donald Trump has been repeatedly touting hydroxychloroquine as a cure for the coronavirus. He bought massive amounts of it. And some people say, let's go to a laboratory, let's test it for a couple of years. And then, no. Early research have found that it's maybe not the most promising treatment. Are you going to use a drug that someone says from an anecdotal standpoint, not completely proven, but might have some effect? The president has sort of dug into this to the point where he said he even took the, the medication as a preventative measure. I happen to be taking it. Hydroxychloroquine. I'm taking it. Hydroxychloroquine. It really goes against the scientific consensus. Also weigh in on this issue of hydroxychloroquine. What, what do you think about this? And what, yeah, is, the, what is the medical evidence? That question? Yeah. Well, I Maybe like 15, the doctor. 15 times. Okay. You don't have to ask He's, he's your medical expert, correct? <laughs> I think what's interesting in that clip there is that, you know, it shows that Trump has is comfortable interjecting or interrupting when public health ex experts are talking about the can second you, can you take it off because i cannot hear I'll, you i'll just speak louder sir oh, this, okay good you want to be politically correct i just don't want to wear one myself it's a recommendation they recommend it wore one in this back area but i didn't want to give the press the pleasure of seeing it the fact that the president doesn't wear one i think 
sort of muddles the public health message. Researchers can debate, you know, exactly how effective these masks are. That said, it is currently the CDC's advice to wear masks when you're out and about, and many states have mandated or re required people to do that when they're crowded places. The country wants to get back to work. Here yeah, they're going to keep Los Angeles closed till the end of August. That's a death wish. We did the right thing. Now we open. We got to get it open. I'll say it yet again that you should not congregate in crowds. Public health officials, epidemiologists say you can't just rush to reopen. You have to be cautious. Even the White House plan says that, but Trump has repeatedly encouraged or, or pressured states to reopen more quickly. One of the most important things in responding to a pandemic is to have this unified and clear message to the public that requires that the administration and scientists are on the same page. And sometimes it feels like they're not. So there we are. And, you know, I got one word to say after that. Karma. Well, that, I was, that's what I was looking for. There's a Guardian piece that ends like with that. And I can't find it, but uh, they're just describing how it's spreading and, you know, mm -hmm. how, how yeah. irresponsible everyone was. And he's, and at the end, they, the writer says, uh, their own karma has run over their own dogma. <laughs> <laughs> and you know how Carvey, take care. Even discuss the real strategy in the White House for the last several months, which is herd immunity. Yeah, mm -hmm. which is the biggest disaster grifter mm -hmm. story imaginable <clears throat> that somehow having people catch the disease is is a plan to save lives. <laughs> it's, a, it's a plan to save someone's political career, maybe, but it's a disaster on every level. I don't know how anyone, and certainly Fauci has spoken against this, Everyone who's in epidemiology and global health care has spoken against it, yet the underlying policy, and they've actually been bold enough to mention it over the last couple of weeks, herd immunity is a disaster idea. But that's the guy who's Trump's uh, medical go-to guy now. It's the, the, guy the radiologist. Yeah, newer radiologist talking about herd immunity. But we're, we haven't heard much from him speaking of herd immunity. <laughs> no, no. Well, the herd, the herd was in the rose garden the other day. Let's see how <laughs> that right. works. Yeah. So, so, okay. So, you know, no matter what you do, the doggone stories all come back to Trump. And, you know, it just, he takes all the air out of the, uh, out of the room. Mm -hmm. So, Tom, what was your last, what was what was the last clip you had? Uh, it's something I thought of that just flashed through my mind. Uh, I think it was early Thursday morning when I heard there were positive tests in the White House. And uh, I thought of the end of uh, a 1953 movie, War of the Worlds, where Martians invade the planet. <laughs> and it's a little clip of... Uh, Cedric Hardwick uh, giving the, the final epitaph on the episode of how they overcame the Martian invasion. After all that men could do had failed, the Martians were destroyed and humanity was saved by the littlest things which God in his wisdom had put upon this earth. Yeah, the inference is that microbes are the things that saved us from from danger and that's what i thought of maybe all of this craziness of reopening and ignoring science and politicizing the real mm -hmm. solutions to how we overcome a pandemic maybe if some people discover what microbes can do to their body they will rethink i will say today I went to the store and I saw more masks on people than I've seen in weeks. Mm. Well, that's, that's encouraging. Mm. Um, 
and I was watching clips of Iowa State upsetting Oklahoma, and they had way too many people in the stands. Yeah. But they all seemed to have masks. So I thought, okay, that's a, that, that is a breakthrough. But for a second there, I thought you were thinking, you were going to say, uh, because the microbe saved us from the Martians, you were going to say the microbe saved us from Trump. Exactly. <laughs> well, so, I mean, that's, and I mean, you could interpret that way, even if Trump didn't have the microbe. Yeah. That's the number one issue that is, is turning people away from him. And not voting for it, him. You know what what the uh what they thought they could run away from and pretend it didn't exist or mm -hmm. they had control over now has turned into a billboard of of ineptitude. Yeah. Yeah. And so he's a, he's a walking billboard now. But they're gonna try to convert that. Believe me, you watch the next few weeks. Oh yeah. You tried to convert him into some kind of a hero. Some kind of a macho man at 70 whatever he is, 70 whatever he is. 75. And yeah, and so some sort of macho man who faced covid and and won um with the assistance of 100 doctors at Walter Reed. And and the same guy who wants to take health care away from everyone next month. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it was pretty brief, but he nailed it pretty well. Okay. They also had Michael Moore. Uh, I, I don't know if that was CNN or MSNBC, and his comments, which were, I don't know if you heard those. <laughs> he, he commented on, on Trump's, you know, we all know he doesn't care about the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, American people at large, but even his, uh, you know, closest big time donors, he was willing to uh, put their lives in jeopardy in order to pick their pockets, basically. The other thing is he has, I think he still has a uh, podcast show, his, his own podcast show. That yeah, he does. And that's yeah. the one I pulled up, uh, Donald Trump as a pre-existing condition. Uh, that's today. I haven't heard it yet, though. But there may be some good stuff in there. Yeah. This is Rumble, and I'm Michael Moore. Well, it's been a pretty uh, crazy time here. Since I last spoke to you, we posted our emergency podcast system episode of Rumble uh, early uh, Friday morning, about oh, maybe seven hours after uh, Trump tweeted that he had the coronavirus. He didn't call it the China flu in his tweet. And um, nothing like a little death scare to smack the racism out of you. So we uh, last spoke to you on this emergency uh, podcast. And uh, this was, of course, before he was medevaced to the hospital on Marine One on the helicopter there. There's a lot going on. One thing is very clear, and I want to thank everybody who listened to that podcast and shared it, and to everybody who read my uh, Facebook uh, post. When is it that you believe what Trump is saying? And the safe position to always take is that never believe whatever it is he's saying. Make him prove what he's saying is correct. So you make the assumption that it's a lie, and then he has to prove it isn't a lie. That's really the only way to deal with him. So by Saturday morning, uh, when the doctors came out around noontime with their lab coats uh, there at uh, Walter Reed Hospital, 10 of them, uh, to address uh, the press, uh, it was a real crazy press conference uh, where the doctors contradicted each other. Uh, they didn't know how long he had actually been infected with the coronavirus. Still, as I'm recording this, don't know that. Um, he may have had it for uh, the better part of the last week. He may have been asymptomatic until uh, they tested him. They may have tested him as early as Wednesday, not uh, uh, on um, Thursday night uh, or Friday morning. 
It's a lot of questions up in the air. The main thing that became clear by uh, the end of the day Saturday is that the point of uh, the emergency podcast remains true, that he's lying. He's lying and they're lying for him. Now, what he's lying about, that we don't know. You know, if it's, I think it's okay to take the position that he you know, he probably has COVID-19, but it turned out that, that that wasn't what the lie was about. He may have been lying about uh, all the other circumstances around COVID-19, how he got it, how long he had it, who he infected. It looks like now many people are, are infected about nine, by last count now, nine or 10 in his inner circle and a, another 15 or so that were anywhere around the debate in Cleveland or the debate prep or uh, the fundraiser he had on Thursday night. God knows how many people uh, he's infected. During all this, what got lost on uh, on Friday is the investigation by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation as to what's the number one you know cause of the spread of the coronavirus, and they basically came up with Donald Trump. Donald Trump's uh, misinformation, lying, ignorance, stupid comments um, have convinced millions in the United States, but also around the world, that it's not what they say it is. It could be a hoax, et cetera, et cetera. And that has caused a lot of people to uh, get the virus and to die. So we're going to deal with that. That was just a little snippet from Michael Moore's podcast called Rumble with Michael Moore. And so you can find that on YouTube. Uh, So with that, I had a couple of clips, but we only got to play a little bit of one of them. My other clips were, you know, uh, uh, not Trumpist. Uh, They were just kind of overall demoralizing. Uh, (laughs) I uh, I had, uh, let's see, Chris Hedges talking about (laughs) things are only going to get worse. And this is rarely on the on the light side of the conversation. That's right. Chris, you know, Chris Hedges talking about things are only going to get worse. Can you talk about what we are facing uh, right now in terms of, of sy- the systemic issues that you see playing out in front of us? Right. Well, I think it's it's pretty clear that um, Biden is going to do nothing to address the issues that I uh, and I think others have argued gave rise to a figure, a demagogue, a con artist like Trump. Uh, in fact, things are about to get exponentially worse. Um, I covered the war in the former Yugoslavia. Um, so I am intimately familiar with how societies break down, also worked in the Middle East for seven years and North Africa, six years in Latin America, covered the wars in Central America. Uh, and I think it's pretty clear that the tinder uh, that uh, could ignite widespread social unrest and violence lies ominously stacked around us. You have millions of very angry, uh, disenfranchised white Americans. These are Trump. This is Trump's base uh, living in uh, economic and social uh, misery. Uh, enraged at political stagnation, the corruption of the ruling class, a bankrupt liberal elite, which the Democratic Party embodies, uh, and this mounting social inequality, which is about to get much worse. Um, That's on one side. Then you have millions more alienated young men and women who've been locked out of the system uh, and uh, again, have a deep animus, of, and which is totally understandable against governing structures, and often express this through uh, anti-fascism. Uh, and and the political center is rapidly uh, disintegrating. Uh, and and then we have added to this mix the fact that the country is awash in military-grade uh, weapons, unable to cope with the. COVID-19 pandemic and its economic fallout uh, have unleashed uh, unaccountable, uh, violent, um, militarized police forces that in essence in poor neighborhoods function as internal armies of occupation and de facto allies of these uh, neo-fascists. So, uh, you know, and then we add the fact that 
Um, uh, we have an estimated 40 million people who will be evicted from their homes because the moratorium on foreclosures and evictions has been lifted by the end of this year. Uh, some Johns Hopkins, others are estimating that perhaps 400,000 Americans will be dead from the pandemic by uh, 300,000, I think, by December, 400,000 by uh, January. 100,000 uh, people in a month. Yeah. Well, because it, it's, it, it spirals. Right. Uh, and Unbelievable. Uh, so all of this is kind of coming together, uh, I think, and, and these are very ominous warning signs. Biden has made it clear that he isn't of the Democratic Party, and Biden has made it clear that they're not going to uh, institute the kind of jobs program that might be able to pull us back from the brink. Uh, he said if Medicare for all is passed by Congress and it comes on his desk, he'll veto it. He wants to give more money to the police. We won't get into Biden's long uh, you know, complicity in uh, militarized police, uh, free trade deals, NAFTA, uh, cheerleaders for the these endless wars in the Middle East. So, um, uh, you know, with or without Trump, it's going to be pretty grim. Uh, and in fact, I think if Trump is removed from office, uh, this uh, kind of neo-fascist violence will probably get worse. Uh, can you... Uh... <laughs> You've already painted quite a dystopian uh, picture of what's about to happen. For those people, I think many Americans have never been to a war zone. Well, I guess we better leave it there uh, for today um, with our show and our clips and uh, our gloom and doom. Uh, so we only had one other thing to do, and that was the song. Now, the the, the song to end up, I just think it has to be uh, John Lennon and instant karma. So, <laughs> yeah, that's good. So, uh, but I think I, well, let's see. You can lead into two. that with the quote from the guardian. Yeah. What was the quote from the guardian? Yeah. <laughs> their karma has run over their own dog. <laughs> <laughs> Karma's gonna get you Gonna knock you right in the head You better get yourself together Pretty soon you're gonna be dead Gonna get you Gonna knock you off your 